Amen. Church, thank you, John, Jesse, Ryan, Choir, Martha, Carol. I think that's most, if not everybody, who's who's involved in our worship ministry right now and just doing a great job uh, leading us to the throne of grace, leading us to, to sing the gospel to one another and to Christ our King. I, I messed up earlier when I was sharing the announcements. The, the day that we're going to hand deliver some hot, fresh Krispy Kreme donuts to area businesses. In your bulletin, it's Monday, but what I meant to tell you is, because it's going to be dumping bucket loads of rain Monday morning, we're moving that to Tuesday morning. So if you just take your pen, and particularly if you're going to sign up for that, it's going to be on Tuesday morning. The sign-up sheet is correct. Uh, we just need you to come by the, the church, grab a couple dozen hot, fresh Krispy Kreme donuts, resist the temptation to take one out of the box on the way, and hand those off to an area of business. You say, why are you doing that? We just want them to know that we love them. You, know, we're, you don't have to go share the gospel. Of course, if you get the opportunity, don't hesitate to share the gospel. But this is, this is cultivating the soil of the Roanoke Valley, letting people know that we're here. And I want to be a church that if we cease to exist tomorrow, that people who've never been to this building would be sad. That they would know that we love them, we pray for them, and we're for them. That we are for the Roanoke Valley and we are foreseeing King Jesus exalted in this place. So we want to we touch as many lives and people as we can and see God get the glory uh, through our efforts in Jesus' name. Secondly, you say, I, I cannot sign up for anything. There's nothing that I can do. None of these times work for me. We have a $5 gift card to Chick-fil-A. That's the Southern Baptist restaurant, in case you were wondering. And uh, there's enough gift cards out there. There should be enough gift cards out there to take one per family. And on the back it says, God bless you from your neighbors at North Rona. Right? Just a little label there. So if you take one per couple, one per family, if you're a single individual, take one for yourself. It's not for you. It's not to get lost in your wallet. Three years from now be like, oh, I got five bucks. I'll get a shake at Chick-fil-A. Sometimes, if you take one, then you're making a commitment between... Uh, God and yourself, that I will find someone to bless with $5 to Chick-fil-A between this Sunday and next. Might have a chance to invite him to church. Might encounter somebody in the office who's having a really bad day. Whatever it is, just take a card and be a blessing in Jesus' name. And trust Jesus to do the rest. If he opens the door to share the gospel and be the light of the gospel, great. If they just get 5 bucks to Chick-fil-A and God uses it 5, 10 years from now, great. Uh, we're going to trust God to use small tokens of appreciation or, or tokens of a blessing in Jesus' name to him to take that, those efforts and to fertilize them with the soil and the water of the gospel in time. So um, that is Impact the Valley Week. There's no reason that all of us can't be involved, at least at the gift card level, right? So I hope you get plugged in this week as we try to impact the Roanoke Valley in Jesus' name. Now, Mark's Gospel... Chapter 11, Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, we waded through verses 1 through 25 last week, and this week we'll pick up in verse 27 and go through verse 33, and last week Jesus overturned the money changers' tables, and the money changers aren't too happy about it, nor are the ruling, governing temple authorities. We call them the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, and the scribes, and the elders that we'll read about in just a moment. So we're having an authority conflict. Will, will people 
the Sanhedrin, will they govern how it is that we get to God? Or will Jesus be the way that we get to God? And if Jesus has all authority, what are the implications for our lives? And so the, I've titled this morning's message, Answering the Question of Jesus' Authority. It's a question that everyone must answer. Who has ultimate authority? Would you read with me from Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 27? They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And he began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, meaning John the Baptist, from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that you would give us divine enablement this morning to hear what you want to say to us. God, that you would release us of whatever we brought into this room that would prevent us from hearing from heaven. God, we confess to you that we are dependent upon you for every life, for every breath. When, when things like a hurricane blow through, we are reminded, Lord, that we are completely dependent upon you. God, help us not to run away from our dependence, but to run toward it this morning. Help us to, to run to Jesus and find that, yes, he has all authority, and he uses that authority for those who acknowledges it, acknowledge it to bring great blessing to their lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we want to consider the question of Jesus' authority, and I was thinking... Uh, over the week, how to illustrate this and coming up with a bunch of zeros. I didn't know how to illustrate it. And this morning, I, I thought about other things, other sources of authority in our lives, like gravity. Everybody can picture the little kid that watches Superman, and then he goes out on his roof or his deck or his porch, and he thinks, well, if I put on my Superman cape just like Superman put on his cape, and I stretch out my arms and I jump, then I can defy the authority of gravity, I'll be fine. And the reality is you, you can't defy the authority of gravity. And you've probably seen some of those videos where little Junior thinks, well, I'm just going to be Superman. I'm going to act the part. And I'll defy the authority. What happens? They end up hurt. And the reality is when we try to defy Jesus' authority, we end up hurt. We end up uh, lacking God's best in our lives when we try to defy the authority of Christ. You know, I, I was on a plane years ago with an ER doc who flew all across the country consulting with other ER docs, and he was an atheist, and he was telling me about how religion is crazy, and I just let him go on, right? I just give him a bunch of rope, and he, for the first hour of this flight, you know, Jesus is a bunch of bunk, religion's a bunch of bunk, why do people believe that Bible stuff? And then it's somewhere along the way, he started talking about how kids don't obey their parents, and he didn't understand why that was the, why, why kids just flow off the handle, and parents let their kids do whatever they want. I said, well, which way do you want it, bro? Do you want an authority or do you not want an authority? 
If, if as a society we throw away any moral authority, then why would you expect kids to obey their parents and act like civilized people? It doesn't make sense. You've got to have an authority. Which is it? And he's like, well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that though you're a very intelligent man and an ER doctor, you're not making any sense right now. You want it both ways. You can't have freedom if you don't have authority. Just go to New York City and tear down all the, all the stoplights and see what happens. Somebody's got to govern the major intersections of your life. Somebody's got to decide who can go and who's got to stop. And we live in a world that wants freedom without authority. There's no such thing. You can't have real freedom in your life. You can't have real access to God in your life. You can't have a life abundant as Christ came to give it and say, I'm going to get the blessings of Jesus on the one hand, but I'm going to ignore the authority of Jesus on the other hand. It's why marriages are in shambles. They say, I prayed a prayer when I was seven or eight or nine, and then I ignored everything God had to say about life and marriage for the rest of my life, and I don't know why my life's a mess. Because you can't ignore the authority of Jesus and get the blessings of Jesus at the same time. No more than you can navigate your way through New York City without a stoplight. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. And Jesus says, you've got to reckon with my authority if you're going to have life in the kingdom of God. Going all the way back to chapter 1, Mark's been showing us that Jesus has a unique authority as the Son of God. He's sent from God Himself. He is God in the flesh. In chapter 1, verse 22, Jesus teaches in the synagogue. And you remember what happens? They were amazed at His teaching because He taught as one having authority. In verse 127, He's casting out unclean spirits and they debated about His authority. In chapter 2, verse 7, He encounters a man who can't walk and he says your sons are forgiven and they again say uh, questioning his authority who can forgive sins but God alone that's exactly right he's God in the flesh and now that he's come to Jerusalem and into the temple and he's overturned the money changers tables the Sanhedrin aren't happy and so they want questions about Jesus's authority they want answers because Jesus does to the chief priests and the scribes and the elders there in verse 27. He does what he's still doing today. He upends, overturned the idea that we are the ultimate authority in our lives. And he says that you've got to replace the authority of self with the authority of Jesus the Savior. You can't have both. You see in this text we find the word authority four times. Twice in verse 28, once in 29, again in verse 33. And then you find the, in those exact same verses these words, doing these things. You say, well, why are you telling me that, Pastor? Because here's what Mark is trying to tell you. There's a direct relationship between the work that Jesus does and the authority that Jesus has. We got all kinds of people in the world. They want to be blessed by Jesus. They want to have life in Jesus. They want the good life, but they don't want to submit to Jesus. You can't have the good life that Jesus gives without surrendering the, to the authority that Jesus has. Are y'all here this morning? I know it's just the intro, and I'm preaching the sermon. So, so we've got to settle the question of Jesus' authority. We've got to do it in our individual lives, in our marriages, in our families, and even in our church life. And we see three things in this text by what I'll say negative example. The Sanhedrin show us not what not to do. So I've kind of flipped it on its head and said, well, what should we do? If the Sanhedrin show us 
the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders show us, well, don't do it this way. Well, then what should we do in order to enjoy the work of Jesus, the many things that he does? First, we've got to, try, we've, we've got to stop trying to justify ourselves as our own authority. Second, we must honestly evaluate the evidence for Christ's lordship. And finally, we must answer Jesus' question and submit to him as the authority. First, we've got to stop trying to justify ourselves as our authority by questioning Jesus. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you thought started with an honest question about religion, but about 15 questions in, you realize no matter what answer you gave, no matter how well-reasoned your argument, no matter how convincing and compelling the case for Christ you made was, they just ask another question. Because all they really want to do is put Jesus on the defensive. They aren't interested in wrestling with the authority that Christ has. And that's what the Sanhedrin are doing. Well, we see that Christ claims to have an authority. He's presented us with who He is. So we'll just throw Him off with a bunch of questions. Now, I want to submit to you, church, it's easy to be critical of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders in verse 27. But there's one thing they do get right. And it's this. At least they understand that their authority and the, the authority of Jesus cannot coexist. we got a lot of people going to church today saying Jesus is my king on Sunday. And then Monday through Saturday, they live as their own authority. At least the scribes and the elders and the priests, at least they understand they've got to make a decision. Is Jesus the king of their life or am I the king of my life? Jesus will let people drive around with a coexist bumper sticker on their car for now. But one day he's coming back. And the only people that will exist in the new heavens and the new earth are the ones who bow the knee today before it's too late. And say that Jesus is my king and I live for him on mission with him no matter what it costs me. Here's the dilemma, church. If Jesus has the authority to make people right with God, then what's going to happen to their authority to try to get, get to God on their own terms? So they come to Jesus with questions, not honestly, but trying to defend themselves as their own authority. And we face a similar challenge. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter the Son of God who acts with divine authority because He is God Himself and He acts to conquer the rebellion of our lives. We can't be right with a holy God without submission to Christ, the authority, the one who has the authority to give us the righteousness of God, which is what God requires. You say, what are you, what are you driving at, Pastor? Here's what I'm driving at. You can't say I believe in Jesus and it doesn't make a dime's worth of difference in my life. You can't say I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to live the same way I did before I came to Him. I'm going to have the same assumptions about the world that I had before I came to Him. I'm going to live exactly the same way as I always live, but I'm going to punch my get-out-of-hell-free card with Jesus. That's not who Jesus is. He's not just the way out of hell. He's the way to live in a broken world. The idea... This stupid idea that we can believe in Jesus and nothing significant will change about our lives is not even something the Sanhedrin believed. And yet we live in a culture and a society in America. We got all kinds of people say, I believe in Jesus. And you look at their lives and you go, really? God, help us. Why is the first commandment of the ten, you should have no other gods before me? You've got to settle the authority issue at the top, not at the bottom. You don't come to Jesus and get your best life now and get all your 
your life back, sort of, and then you go, oh, well, now maybe I'll surrender to Jesus as the authority in my life. No. The order is authority first, blessing second. And the Sanhedrin didn't like that very much. Look at verse 27. Jesus walks into the temple with his disciples and the battle is on. He didn't even get to clear his throat. He didn't even get to walk in the door and survey the situation and say, hey, it's nice to be back. Hope you enjoyed me turning the money changers, changers tables over yesterday. Hope that went well. None of that. He walks in and the Sanhedrin are ready to pounce. As he is walking in the temple, boom, they bring the question. Jesus' authority, church, will do one of two things. It will either lead you to rethink who you are, or it will lead you to think that you can get the upper hand and put Jesus on the defensive and justify yourself as your own authority. Do you see what they ask Jesus? Just who do you think you are, Jesus? What authority do you have to be doing these things? Verse 28, we didn't give you permission. We don't see your seminary degree. Even your hometown of Nazareth says you're just a carpenter and the son of Joseph. Who do you think you are? Tell us who gave you this authority. There are two questions in verse 28. They're trying to set a trap for Jesus. You see, if Jesus says he acts on his own authority, which he does because he's God, he could lose the following of the people. Because they haven't made the connection yet that Jesus is God in the flesh. But if he says that his authority is directly from God, then the Sanhedrin will say, See, you're a blasphemer, and we're going to feel justified now in taking you to the cross. What the Sanhedrin want and what the human flesh wants is a way out of dealing with an authority that is greater than our own authority. Our flesh desires to glorify itself. But we were made to glorify something greater than ourselves, and His name is Jesus. But in their case, and in our case, the authority of self must give way to the Savior. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. It's a fantastic read. And I want to share with you what he says about this giving way of the self and surrendering our authority to the authority of the Savior. Listen to what he says. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way, and let Christ take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. In that sense, our real selves are waiting for us in Him. It's no good trying to be myself without Him. The more I resist Him and try to live life on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. There must be a real giving up of the self. We don't teach this, church. We go to kids when they're three and we talk about self-esteem. We just want to blow you up. We want to puff you up and tell you how great you are and how wonderful you are. And that you, you are just amazing. Are, are y'all here this morning? This is what the school systems say. It's what the world says. You are great just like you are. You are perfect just like you are. You can do anything you want to do. You are awesome. No, Jesus is awesome. And we are ruining generation after generation after generation of kids by lying to them that they can have a positive self-esteem without giving away themselves to the Savior. The self that they were made to be is the new creature in Christ. 
You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are lost and undone. You are depraved and wicked and headed the wrong direction. And God came down and substituted Himself for you. So if you want to know who you really are, you've got to stop being who the world says you are and be who Christ has made you to be. Then you'll have a positive self-esteem because it's not about you. It's about the Savior who made you, you and Him. Self-esteem. Are you tracking with me? You can't have it both ways. It can't be a bunch of positive self-help, self-esteem mumbo-jumbo on the other hand. On the one hand, and then I just pasted Jesus to my life on the other. Jesus must become your life. He shreds all your past. He shreds all the yuck and the junk and the stuff that tells you you can't belong to Him. Some of you don't know your dad. Some of you don't know your mom. Some of you came through a train wreck of a series of divorces. And the reason you can't get self-esteem out of that is because that doesn't make for a very good self. But then Jesus comes and He adopts you in His family. And He makes you a son or a daughter of the Father. That's where you get self-esteem. After you've been rescued by the blood of Jesus. And you can't be rescued by the blood of Jesus until you bow the knee to Him as King. Secondly, we must honestly evaluate the evidence for Christ's Lordship. As the rabbis often did... Jesus answers their questions with a question. Now, some commentators here will say Jesus is trying to evade the topic. He's trying to evade their question. He's not being evasive. He's being gracious. Because the people who are questioning Him have already made up their minds. They've already decided, we will not bow the knee to Jesus' authority. So Jesus, rather than answering the question about Himself and pointing them to John, He's trying to open their minds up one last time so that they can bow the knee to Jesus. And some of you this morning, you're in a wrestling match. You want to be your own authority, but you know you need to surrender to Jesus' authority. And He is so kind. He is so gracious. He is so loving. Even though you come to Him with a hard heart, He will try over time through the presence of His Spirit to soften your heart to the Gospel. What a, what a Savior. They're coming to attack Him and He's trying to hold open the door for them yet one more time. So Jesus says, I'll ask you one question. And then He commands them, you answer me. This is fascinating to me because the word question here is actually the word word. Like the Word of God. I'll ask you one word and you will answer me. Do you see what Mark is showing us here, church? He's showing us that the one Son of God gives us His one word of God as the opportunity for us to be broken of our self-worship. Jesus makes the same case to sinners today as He made to the Sanhedrin. I've got one word for you, the Bible. The Bible raises the questions and it gives Jesus as the answer. Jesus turns the tables on the ones trying to set the trap. Now he asks the question and commands an answer. It's okay, by the way, to bring questions to Jesus. But we've got to deal honestly with the evidence. And the evidence shows that we've got, enough, we've got a problem with authority. It's all over the world, right? I mean, it's even in church life. You talk to people say, well, I don't need to go to a local church. Because it's just me and Jesus over on the side and sometimes I watch church on TV. Really? Where do you see that in the Bible? The authority of Jesus is mitigated to us. It comes to us 
through a local church. He establishes a local church with his apostles under the authority of the Word of God. And how do you live under the authority of Jesus in 2018? You get plugged in to a local church that will encourage you and admonish you and rebuke you when necessary and will help you to continue to stay on the path of the Christian life. There's no such thing as living under the authority of Jesus and being radically disconnected from a local church that's built upon the foundation of God's Word. You can't do it. Y'all are still here. The only way to resolve our authority problem and find real freedom in Christ is through submission to Christ. So Jesus asked them about John's baptism. You say, what in the world's going on? Here's what's going on. Is John really a prophet from God? And if John's really a prophet from God, then might it be that I'm really the son of God, one who's been directly commissioned by God? Aiken summarizes it this way. Here's what Jesus is saying. My claim to authority is based on the possibility of a divine authoritative ministry given directly by God without any human endorsement. If you cannot judge the ministry of John based on the evidence for his ministry, then you're not qualified to judge Jesus' ministry either. You see, for the Sanhedrin, a decision about John is a decision about Jesus. Their problem is not a lack of evidence for Jesus' authority. That's why they came to him in the first place. Their problem is that the evidence points to the fact that there's an authority greater than themselves and his name is Jesus. If they say John came from heaven, then they won't be able to explain why they didn't believe him. If they say that John's authority came from men, then the very people that they are exploiting and extorting and relying upon for their power will no longer be a base of support. So Jesus graciously traps those who try to put him in a trap. And the only way out of Jesus' trap this morning, for some of you who want to have it both ways, I want to be blessed by Jesus, but I don't really want to submit to Jesus. I don't want the... I don't want His Bible in my life. The only way, that tension that you feel in your soul this morning, dear, dear friend, man, I, I want a good life. I want to have purpose and mission and meaning in my life, but I really want to do my own thing. Those two things can't coexist. And the only way out of the trap is this. Submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. It's the only way. So, how would it be for you this morning. Jesus forces a decision. He forces a decision. Now, I want to take a, a brief chasing of a rabbit. I try not to do that very often, but I want to chase a rabbit this morning. And I want to talk to you about science and culture for just a second. You see, Jesus is forcing a decision in the scientific community as well. The more and more they evaluate where, the, where in the world the universe came from, the more they conclude that the universe has a sudden and immensely powerful beginning. There was nothing, and then suddenly there was something. But rather than accepting the Bible's version of the Big Bang Theory, which goes something like this, God spoke and bang it was, what do they do? They invent all sorts of crazy scenarios that never answer these two fundamental questions. They cannot answer them. They will not answer them because they point like a shining light bulb. There's an authority bigger than you, big guy. They are this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there anything at all? 
And secondly, why does the something that exists have a mathematical precision in the way that it functions that shows us that it was clearly and intelligently designed? Why does anything exist at all? And why am I able to even process the fact that something exists? And they cannot answer these questions and they will not answer these questions because to answer them honestly, to really reckon with the evidence is to admit that there's somebody bigger, somebody far more authoritative than I ever will be. And he is the Lord God Almighty who reigns and rules and sent his son to redeem and rescue and restore his creation. And the only way you get to be a part of that good work is if you bow the knee in this lifetime. Faith has nothing. Students, you're going to go to college and you're going to get a bunch of mumbo jumbo, some of it that's really good, but at the end of the day, they're not going to answer those two questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? And why does it make any sense at all? And I can tell you this, a, choice, a series of random incidences over billions and billions of years did not produce more order. It does not produce a well-engineered machine. It's like Hurricane Florence going through a, a uh, junkyard and on the other side you get a Ferrari. It makes no sense. And you're going to go to college and they're going to mess with your mind and they're going to mess with your heart and they're going to try to convince you you can be your own authority. You can be your own boss. Don't listen to them. They won't deal honestly with the questions to which the science points. In God's Word, we have all the evidence we need to conclude that Jesus is God and He's God's Son and He's God's King. And for many in this room, you don't need the scientific evidence. What you need is the evidence of a changed life. And you've seen it. You've seen it in the lives of a brother or sister or a mom or a dad or a friend. You've seen that they were crazy drunk and then all of a sudden God interrupted their lives and now they're living for Jesus. You've seen Him save a marriage that didn't have a chance. You've seen missionaries leave their jobs and their parents and their hometown because they're not living for themselves in this world. They're living for the king who is greater. You've met a wealthy couple that lives like regular Joes because they want to be a blessing to other people. You've met former addicts. There are some in this room, I know at least three that I'm looking at, former addicts who are no longer controlled by the power of the next hit because they are now compelled by the glory of Christ. The evidence is all around us. But evidence isn't enough. Jesus has to change the heart. We've got to be released from our selfish pursuit of the good life on our own terms. And we've got to be free to take up true and everlasting life in Christ. And the only way that happens is if we do what Jesus commands when he says, answer me. Verse 29, he commands, answer me. Verse 30, again, he commands, he answer me. Jesus doesn't just give us good evidence. He also graciously demands that we answer his question. Who is the king of your life? We must answer Jesus' question and submit to his authority no matter what it costs. And the question we must answer, church, is this. Who rules my life? No matter what it may cost or how difficult it may be, Jesus is commanding us to live for Jesus every day, everywhere. The church I was a part of in Raleigh before coming to be your pastor here in North Roanoke, we had a slogan. It was three words with two plus signs. Jesus plus every day plus everywhere. Jesus, every day, everywhere. You know what that means, church? What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. What happens in Vegas matters in your marriage. It matters 
before a holy God, and it matters in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It means there's no place on the planet where Christ is not Lord of our lives. It means the decisions that we make as individuals and couples and families and a church must be motivated by and anchored in an absolute dependence upon and an allegiance to Christ as Lord. But the Sanhedrin don't want to submit. They want to debate. You see that in verse 31? They were discussing. They were debating. They were dialoguing. They were reasoning. And that's, what, that's the tension that happens when the Spirit of God begins to speak to a heart that's lost, that's broken. You begin to have this debate with yourself. You're like, I could just submit to Jesus and have life everlasting, but maybe I'll just hold out and I'll have a conversation with myself. That's what they're doing. If they admit John has the authority from heaven, then they've got to admit there's a, an authority greater than themselves. If they won't admit it, then they will alienate themselves from the people that they rely upon for support. So the, the answer, church, is obvious. The evidence points to one conclusion. Jesus is God. He's in the flesh. He came from me. But they will not give the obvious answer. Why? Because of its obvious implication. They must bow their knees, surrender to the living Lord Jesus Christ. So rather than Surrender to Christ as king of their lives. They answer with these little words. We do not know. We do not know. Any of you have kids or grandkids this morning? You ever ask them a question about who did what and you know full well they know? I don't know. That's what's going on here. It's not that the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and the scribes and the and the elders, it's not that they don't know, it's that they will not know. In fact, this word is written in the perfect tense, which means before they ever came to Jesus, they had already decided they wouldn't know. So the question this morning is, what will your answer to Jesus be? Will it be, I refuse to know you as the authority of my life? Or Jesus, you've paid the price. You've done great things four times in these verses. The many things you've done. And I want to be a part of the many things that you have done. You say, well, I don't know. No, you know. And notice what happens to those who say, I will not know. Jesus says in verse 33, then fine then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. You won't know the God of the universe. You won't be rightly related to Him. You want to know God? You want to know His power? You want to be a part of His plan? Then you've got to bow the knee to Jesus' authority. You've got to answer honestly His question because Jesus does not prove Himself to those who come to Him with a predetermined answer to their questions about Him. But He is an open book. To those who come with honest questions and open hearts and open minds and say, search me and try me, Jesus. Look within me and help me to trust you. That Jesus will give you and show you his authority and who he is and blessing and power for life evermore. For some here this morning who've been desiring salvation from Christ without submitting to Christ. Maybe today's the day that you've been waiting for. Maybe you needed Jesus through His Word and His preacher to say to you, you can't have it both ways. Maybe today is the day the game is over. You've tried believing in Jesus and living for yourself and you found that it is utterly miserable. And today you know that you must surrender your life to Christ as the King of your life. Today is your day, church. Jesus might be opening your eyes 
to see that the cost of following Him is nothing compared to the joy and the freedom and the blessing that we find in knowing Him and honoring Him with our lives. And today, through the Holy Spirit of God, He is inviting you to actually lay your life down, to lay yourself down and take up the life of the Savior. Don't back down. Don't back out. Honestly consider the evidence and answer His call to find freedom and life everlasting by laying your life down for Christ the Son. Would you pray with me? Christ our King, we thank You that You've been with us this morning in the reading of Your Word and the singing of songs about You and to You and to one another. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would break down the chains of self and selfishness right now. God, for the, for the young man who's been hanging on to the idea that he can go to high school and, and live like hit the rest of his high school Monday through Friday, and then he can come to church and fake it. God, that this might be the day that he would say, I'm laying my life down, and no matter how embarrassing it is in the school, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what. God, for that young professional who's here who says, I've been trying to have it both ways and I want to accumulate mountains and mountains of wealth and I want to live for me, but come to church on Sunday and smile and act like everything's good. God, that they would come and say, I want to live my life for Jesus no matter what it costs. God, for that senior adult, their entire lives they've been attending church and praying prayers, but they've never really laid down themselves and taken up life in Christ. God, if there's a, a, a lady or an older gentleman this morning that would say, I need Jesus and I want to live for Him no matter what. God, whoever it is and whatever you're doing, we pray that as we stand and sing, that you would have your will and your way in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.